Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. Well, today, if you'd like to follow along, I highly recommend it. Uh, Text the word sermons in 94,000. We are in the series called As in the Days of Noah. Uh, This is fun. How many of you have been enjoying it so far? Kind of crazy, kind of weird. Today's going to be fun. And guess what? The Cowboys don't play till 325. So I get to preach a little longer today. I had to apologize in advance to Miss Stacy because she's running the slides. And I think there's something like 135 slides. I don't know. It's just crazy. Just forewarning you. In, a, in the middle of my message, we're going to stand up real quick. We're going to do some calisthenics and we're going to get back to it. Just saying. Just saying. If you're here for the first time, welcome. Welcome. So let me recap real quick. The first two weeks that we've gone through. We're talking about the return of Christ. As in the days of Noah is about the return of Christ. And this is what Jesus said when he talked about his return. In Matthew 24, 36, he says, But of that day and hour no one knows. Everybody say, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So they asked him, what will the sign be of your return? He said, let me tell you what the signs will be like. But no one knows when I'm coming. This will just be what it's like when it will soon happen. Does that make sense? For as in the days of before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. In other words, everything was normal. Everything was cool. They were going on about life to some extent. There was some crazy stuff going on, and we've been talking about it. We're going to get into it some more. There was crazy stuff going on all around them. But then there was also this element where everything's just kind of like life goes on, right? Life goes on. Even though all this stuff is weird around us, we're just still doing our thing, we're getting married, we're having parties, we're planning, all this stuff. Meanwhile, Noah is building an ark for 100 years. And they're just watching him. Hmm, that's weird. It's a weird guy. In verse 39, And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So we learned that as in the days of Noah, the ark was a representation. It was a representation of rescue, of God removing his people from the earth, right? It was a foreshadowing of what will come when Jesus comes back. So as in the days of Noah, what does this mean? Does it really apply for today? And was Jesus being literal about what he said? Or was this some sort of metaphorical explanation as the conditions of his return? We talked about this term, eschatology, that we all should know. It's a simple term. It just simply means a study of the end. We all have a view of the end, whether it's been formed by Hollywood. If they've informed you on what the end will look like, you have an eschatological viewpoint. Or if you look at the Bible, you have an eschatological viewpoint. We all have an eschatological view. It simply just means a study of the end. And you may be wondering why this is all important. Why are we studying this? The simple answer is to teach us that the time is short. The time is short. How do we know the time is short? Well, 
ever since I was a little boy, we have been hearing the end of the world is near, right? Oh, look what just happened. We're going to war with this place. And so you hear this stuff, oh, the end of the world, the end of the world. And it's because like one thing happens here and then one thing happens there and all these things. We're the first generation to see all of these things happening at one time. That is called convergence, where they all come together at the same time, where all these crazy things that Jesus talked about start blending together at the same moment in time. We're the first generation to see that. No other generation before us has seen all at once what we're seeing today. And so we're going through seven weeks, seven signs, and we've already done two signs. The first one was earthly signs. The second one was technological signs. We also are doing heavenly signs, spiritual signs, political signs, archaeological signs, and economic signs. These were all signs in the days of Noah that relate to today. So in week one, we talked about earthly signs, and they were the floods, the heat wave, the droughts, the wildfires, the hurricanes, the tornadoes. We pulled up the data from FEMA and all these places, and it showed the severity of them and how widespread. We talked about the Saharan Desert, how there's literally a lake in the middle of the Saharan Desert now, which is the driest place on earth, all of a sudden has water in it. It's pretty wild. Pretty wild. The problem with all of these earthly phenomenons is that scientists believe and they want to brush it off as climate change. But Jesus called it the beginning of sorrows. You can call it whatever you want to call it, but Jesus called it the beginning of sorrows. I think they just found a way to tax us more, that's all. Bottom line. They found a nifty way to get more money out of us. But I think they know what we know is that Jesus said, hey, all of this is going to burn one day. Why are you trying to save it? So here's the point. We're in the middle today. We're in the middle of the beginning of sorrows. This is not the end. This is the beginning of sorrows. It's the very, very beginning point of what Jesus promised. So the question is, is your heart right with God? Are you still trying to live life your own way? Are you trying to wait until, like what Jasmine said, have your whole life in order before you come to him? Because that's not what he wants. He wants your heart today no matter what condition you're in. Jesus didn't tell us things to scare us, but rather to inspire us to choose him and to do it quickly. You may not have as much time as you think on this earth. In Genesis 6, it had never rained before. It had never flooded before. They were not paying any attention to what God was doing through Noah. And Noah is a picture of Christ. His children are a picture of the church. And the boat is the picture of Jesus removing us from this world before the flood before the end. In week two, last week, we talked about the technological signs. In Genesis 4.16, it says this, and then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod in the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch and built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad begat Mahujahel, Mahujahel begat Methuselah, and all these people, right? Verse 19, then Lamech 
took for himself two wives. The name was Adah, and the name of the second was Zilhah, and Adah bore Jabal. And this is where it's interesting. Jabal, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the harp and flute. And, his, and as for Zilhah, she also bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. So, what we see here happening with this family is the ranch age, a dawn of a new age, where we see construction for the first time, we see ranching for the first time, we see music and instruments for the first time, and we see blacksmithing for the first time. These are the things that were firsts in the world and it started with this family you know what these are called these are called technological advancements and they're the origins or the beginnings of industries we still do blacksmithing today we still build guitars today we still do ranching today we still do city building today we do all of that it started with these guys so as in the days of noah was new advancements, new technology, right? But something was wrong with the picture. So in Genesis 6, 11, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. He used the word corrupt three times there. The word corrupt means to pervert or to spoil. Something perverted the earth. Something spoiled humanity. Something perverted all flesh. So how does it relate to us today? Well, what's going on today resembles the things that Noah's generation was experiencing. We talked about these things. We talked about CRISPR, which was the uh, manipulation of DNA that they're doing right now at this company. They're genetically modifying people's DNA. They're running trials. It's insane. Neuralink, one of Elon Musk's several companies, is trying to put a chip in someone's brain so they can harness the brain to, to interconnect and interface with artificial intelligence because he believes we're going to merge one day with artificial intelligence. You know, it's just crazy. But someone beat him to it. Synchron beat him to it. Synchron actually successfully over the summer implanted a chip in someone's brainstem and they're doing human trials right now. First patient with a person that has a chip in their brain to interface with artificial intelligence. Then you have Boston Dynamics who are building the robots. These are the guys that are constructing the actual robots. They're called... Um, Atlas, I think, is one of them. They've got several. They all do different things. They're humanoid robots. And then they started putting flesh-like material on the robots, and it got really creepy, so they stopped doing it. But all of that is going on. Then we have the Chinese AI fighter jet, who they put artificial intelligence in a warplane in China, and it learned the maneuvers of its opponent and was able to take out the human opponent like that with its own move. We're on the dawn of a new age, technologically speaking. We're seeing things today that I never thought we'd see. There's so much happening technologically 
that it is mind-blowing. But how does it relate to everything? Well, we learned that in Revelation chapter 3, this unholy trinity, uh, chapter 13, sorry, the unholy trinity appears. It's the dragon, which is the devil. It's the first beast, which is the Antichrist. And the second beast is the false prophet. And they make an image. You follow me? They make an image. And Revelation 13 tells us that when they make this image, the Antichrist is given authority to give life to that image. And this image speaks. That sounds eerily familiar to artificial intelligence robot, in my opinion. So how does an image get life? Well, it's my personal theory that it's through technology that we will see this happen. The mark of the beast, it's going to be technology-based. We don't know what it is, but I think it'll be technology-based. The signs and wonders that the Bible talks about that the false prophet does, I think will be technology-based. It's so bizarre what they can pull off now with technology. And then we see the resurrection of the Antichrist. He tries to mimic Jesus. So he gets killed, he gets wounded in the head, and then he gets resurrected. How does that happen falsely, artificially, that we know of in Scripture, unless it's something where technology is involved? So do you get the picture yet? The future is now. We're in it. We're living in a time where we're seeing that the capability that Revelation speaks of can actually be pulled off. In Revelation 14, the most amazing thing is talked about. It talks about that in the end, just before God destroys the world in its finality, the angels begin preaching. He sends three angels throughout the earth to preach to everyone on earth those that are going through the hardest days of the tribulation, those that are experiencing the wrath of God, he sends angels to preach to them. In his mercy, he's pleading with them to choose him. Why would God have them preach unless he was still trying to offer them one last chance at redemption see God is so good that even though he's seen that they have completely abandoned him completely rejected him in the end he will still extend grace he will still extend an opportunity he does not want someone to go endure the eternity that faces them in hell but because people will reject God no matter what they choose hell Think about how much God extends mercy. And if he'll do it for them, what do you think he'll do for you? Amen. Think how wicked people are that will reject God even in that circumstance. And if he'll reach out to them, how much more will he do that for you today? That's called the goodness of God. In the end, it'll be about Jesus Today, it's about Jesus, and it will always be about Jesus. Amen. This week, we're going to talk about heavenly signs.
signs? What are the heavenly signs that we are in as in the days of Noah? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity that you bring. Thank you for the truth that it conveys. Lord, I ask that we hear your voice this morning, that it would not simply be me, a man, but we would hear from you. We would hear from your word. We would hear clearly that it would change us, that it would mold us, that it would transform us. We yield to you this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So as in the days of Noah... What were the heavenly signs that were in his day? Well, first, we have to know what are heavenly signs. These are any signs that seem to be supernatural. Today, though, I want to talk to you about the supernatural signs that you may not even realize that you deal with every single day. In Ephesians 6.10, it says this, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Tap your neighbor and say, be strong. This is a command. Be strong. Nobody wants to be strong this morning. Okay, let me go over here. Be strong, brother. Be strong. See, the Bible tells you to be strong because our flesh wants us weak. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Who's going to stand? You're going to stand. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. There's that phrase, heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all. To stand. How many times did he tell you that you're going to be the one to stand? Enough to get you to understand that you're going to be the one to stand. He's telling you to put on the armor. He's telling you to be strong. He's telling you to stand up. He's telling you that there will be heavenly attacks against you. And when I say heavenly, I'm going to break that down. We deal daily with a spiritual realm that is unseen. Because it operates in a different heaven, a different space. First, you need to know that there are different heavens, so to speak. In Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is a plural between the invisible heaven, which is the abode of God where God dwells, and then the third visible, visible heaven, which is the abode of the stars, what we know as the universe. There are separate things. There are separate spaces separate heavens and we live in the visible physical space called earth underneath the sky what we wrestle with is that space that we do not see second you need to know that the devil has an army that he gained by causing a rebellion in heaven when this rebellion took place he was casted down out of heaven with a third of the angels. In Revelation 12, 3, it says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the 
great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast where? To the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. So where did God send the devil and his angels? Here. So what do you think we're dealing with? What do you think we're battling with? What do you think when temptation comes your way is the struggle and why all of a sudden you have thoughts in your head? Why all of a sudden you're angry and you want to punch that dude in the face? Been there. Ah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Like, think about it. Like, you, you wrestle, right? What are you wrestling with? Have you ever been in a room and you felt something that should not be there? Hello? Have you ever been in a room and you felt the mighty wind of God, the presence of God? See, we are living in this physical state, but we are very much spiritual beings. And so because of our humanity, we cannot see the war that is being waged all around us. Remember when Daniel was in the lion's den, he was praying for 21 days. What's so amazing is that we still do that today. We pray and we fast for 21 days every year, right? But Daniel didn't have to. The angel showed up finally. He says, oh, yeah, no, I, I came as soon as you started praying. But I was held up by the prince of Persia. You see, that angel got stopped by a demonic force that was over an entire nation, right? It's pretty wild, pretty crazy. If we were to actually see that happen, Hollywood ain't got nothing on what the realities of the spiritual realm looks like. It's wild. And so you think that you're struggling because, oh, something's wrong with my mental health. That is a spiritual attack. And you need to learn to put on the armor of God every single day to stand firm when you get attacked. Probably the most problematic sign that was taking place during Noah's day were the heavenly signs of the devil and his angels trying to corrupt the earth. This is highlighted in Genesis 6. Look at your neighbor and say, are you ready? Are you ready? This is my favorite part. Genesis 6.1. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth, and that that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Man, if that's not a horrible verse, I don't know what is. And the Lord was sorry 
that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So we have some questions we need to answer, don't we? It's a pretty wild section of scripture, isn't it? This section of scripture is hotly debated. It is something that people argue about all the time. So we're going to dive into it. Can we do that this morning? Who were the sons of God that was spoken of? Well, in Job 1, verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Remember the story of Job, where literally it opens up in this weird room where God and his angels are, and then all of a sudden, Satan and his angels have to, quote-unquote, check in with him. Like, hey, how's it going here? And then that's when they get into this discussion about Job. And so the Bible calls the sons of God Satan's angels, the ones that fell with him. In Luke 10, 17, it says this, the sons of God were the ones who were casted down with the devil. It says, then 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority. Who is he giving the authority to? To trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. What kind of power of the enemy? All the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the Spirit is subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. We've talked about this before. These demons, these angelic beings that fell with Lucifer, Jesus alluded to the fact that he saw it happen. He's saying, I saw the devil fall like lightning. Here's another question we need to answer. Are these literal giants? Are these actually big dudes? Like, are these real tall beings? Like, what were they? Well, the Bible is pretty clear that fallen angels had intercourse with women. This was a choice that was made. And the results were a race of giant called the Nephilim. That's what the word giant is translated to in every way, shape, and form. The Nephilim or the Nephilites. These were literally huge beings that were human-angel hybrids. You follow me yet? I'm messing with you this morning, I know. Let's be clear about this. God did not make these beings. He made the angels. He made humanity. And the angels figured out that they could take a woman as their wife. Hmm. God created the angels, and these angels who fell with Satan chose to take these women for wives and the result was these mighty men also called men of renown now i'm going to give you my personal opinion this is not the bible my personal opinion is that these are what the greek mythology gods are based off of if you look at greek mythology if you look at the history you will find that these men were sometimes large uh, they did weird things, quote-unquote, signs and wonders, 
I wonder where they got that power from, right? And so obviously some of it gets convoluted and Greek mythology heroes are not in the Bible, but it is very clear that it's alluding to the fact in scripture when he calls them the heroes of old, the men of renown that people knew about these guys. People were very keenly aware that these were very strange beings. They were huge, they were wild, they had some weird power, and they shouldn't have existed, but they exist. My personal opinion, these are the guys that built the pyramids that everyone's trying to figure out how did this happen. And we're gonna get into that more when we talk about archeological science because that's a whole diving thing that spends a lot of time, it gets fun. Here's what you need to know. In scripture, there are no female angels. That's an interesting thing. If you look at all through scripture, I dug, I tried, I tried, I tried. There are no female angels mentioned. When God created the race of angels, they were all male. He gave them male names. This is why women are so incredibly unique. Because think about it. God created man. And then he pulled the woman from the man. He didn't go create a separate thing. We were always meant to be one. Women, you are unique. You are beautiful. You are special. You are separate even from the angels. <laughs> so here's a big question we need to answer. Why did they do this? Was it just because these women were beautiful? Like, why did the angels do this? What's the point? What's the purpose? Why create this race of giants? Why do this? How does this, what, why does this even matter, right? Like, really, let's go into it. Well, here's the thing. They knew this prophecy. In Genesis 3.15, it says, I, and this is God speaking to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking about Eve, and between your offspring, whose offspring? The devil's. And her offspring. Who's the offspring of Eve? He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. They're talking about Jesus Christ. God is referring to the fact that because Lucifer deceived Eve, he's going to punish Lucifer by sending an offspring from her seed to crush his head. He basically... This is the first prophecy in the Bible. And the prophecy was, I'm sending someone to kill you. The offspring of Eve is going to crush your head. The enemy, I think, remembered this prophecy. And I'm sure he taught the prophecy to his angels. They wanted to corrupt the human bloodline that was supposed to produce Christ. Hello? So they decided, let's go down. Let's take some wives. Let's corrupt this bloodline. Let's make a mess of this. And hopefully we'll never have to see this guy. We all know that God sent the flood to destroy the earth. 
to destroy the race of giants. So here's another question we need to ask. Why were there giants after the flood? Right? Because in Genesis 1-4 that we read, it says there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward. So here's some fun stuff. Here are some scriptures about the literal large beings called giants or Nephilites after the flood. And I think some of this is going to start ringing a bell. In Numbers 13, 33, it says, There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Remember this story? They go to the promised land, and what do they find in the promised land? Giants. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. In Deuteronomy 1.28, where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. The sons of Anakim. Anakim was a race of giants. Joshua eleven twenty one. it says that at that time, Joshua came and killed these guys, right? In the mountains. They actually fought these guys. Guess what? They killed these guys, right? From Hebron, from Deber, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of where? Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land, the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. In Deuteronomy 2, 19 to 20, it says, And when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. That was also regarded as a land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there, but the Ammonites call them Zamzumim. Another name for them. In Deuteronomy 3, it says, For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Indeed, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. It, it is not in Rabbah of the people of Ammon. Nine cubits is its length, and four cubits is its width, according to the standard cubit. You know how tall that was? 13 feet. This dude had a bed that was 13 feet long because he was huge. And this land which we possess at that time was from Aor, which is by the river Ornon, and half the mountains of Gilead and its cities. I gave to the Rebunites and the Gadites, the rest of Gilead, and all of Bashan, the kingdom of Og. I gave the half the tribe of Manasseh, and the region of Orgob with all Bashan was called the land of the giants. This entire region was filled with these giants in Joshua 15, 8. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom and the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. The border went up to the top of the mountains that lies before the valley of Hinnom westward, which is the end of the valley of Rephraim northward. This word Rephraim is also translated as giants. You'll see this over and over in scripture. They started using the word Rephraim. Zumamim, they had all these names, the son of Anakim. These were all different races of giants. 14. In Genesis 14, verse 5, 
In the 14th year of Chaldemore, the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephraim and Ashtoreth and Karnim, the Zuzim and Ham, the Emim, and all these Emes. They're all giants, okay? And Genesis 15, 20, it says the Hittites, the Parasites, and the Rephraim. These were all different races of giants in 2 Samuel 5, 18. Then guess what? The Philistines also went out and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephraim. So David, this is where I love David, because part of his assignment on earth was to eradicate the race of giants. Did you know this? We just thought there was this one big dude named Goliath. He was the only giant ever. No. No. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. I love that word, doubtless. It's going to happen. So David went up to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal Perazim, and they left their images there. And David and his men carried them away. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephraim, the valley of the giants. 2 Samuel 23, then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam and the troops of Philistines encamped in the valley where? Rephraim. First Chronicles eleven fifteen. Now three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock of David into the cave of Adullam and the army of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephraim in 1 Chronicles 14. Then the Philistines went and made a raid on the valley of Rephraim, 1 Samuel 75. And it shall be as when the harvesters gathers the grain and reaps the heads with his arms, it shall be as who gathers heads of grain in the valley of Rephraim. I said this over and over. I shared a bunch of scriptures so you could see how many times it is referenced, how many times it is shown to us over and over through scripture that these giants were literal giants. They were huge. It describes their height, their breadth, their tall. There were many nations of giants other than the Rephraims who filled the whole country to try and contest God's claim. There's simply two Many scriptures to share with you, but I will list the names of these people. They're called the Kenizzites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraims, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Girgashites, Jebusites, Hivites, Anakims, Emims, Horims, Avims, Zamzumims, Catherims, and Nephilims. Pretty much every ite and eme that you can read in the Bible, that's them. All these giant nations came from the union of the fallen angels and the daughters of men after the flood. So they did it again. Part of the reason I think they did it again, not only were they trying to continue to corrupt the bloodline, but they also heard about the fact that God would put the rainbow in the sky. Oh, look, he's never going to flood the earth again. <laughs> Let's try this again. Beings of great stature. Some of them even had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. 
and they carried spears weighing from 10 to 25 pounds. Goliath, whom David slew, wore a coat of armor that weighed 196 pounds. He was nine feet, nine inches. This dude was a massive. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 4, it says, And a champion, which was another term that was used interchangeably with the Nephilites and giants, champion, went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath and from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his, on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. This also explains why God would tell Israel over and over and over again to kill them all. See, a lot of atheists will read the Bible and they'll pull out these stories and go, look, your God loves genocide. Your God loves to kill people. Anybody ever heard this? This is one of their arguments. What they don't understand is that everybody that he told Israel to kill were these guys. This is why he told them, kill every man, every woman, every child, every beast. This is why he was upset with Saul. Because he told Saul, don't take anything from those people. Kill everything. What did Saul do? Oh, look, that's nice. Oh, that's nice. Let's take some of the spoils of war. No, no, no. God wanted absolutely nothing to do with his people and that fallen, messed up race. This is why God was upset with Samson for taking a Philistine wife. Hello? This is why God kept telling you, don't intermingle with those people. They weren't people. They were hybrids. Are you following me yet this morning? So he was ordering the extermination of an illegitimate race that he did not sanction. Understand this. God did not create these beings. They did not have the breath of God. That's what makes us different. We carry the breath of God. When these angels did what they did, they had no spirit of God. This also could possibly explain why you see quote-unquote cavemen or Neanderthals, weird-looking men who just don't seem to have the same features as us. They're calling it evolution. I call it illegitimate race. Let's check this out. I've got a picture for you. These are some spearheads in the Israeli museum. They've actually found all over Israel spearheads. Now, the ones on the top, normal-sized spearheads that you and I can throw. And then they have this. That doesn't even fit in the picture. You can go look it up. Israeli museums have on hand spearheads. This is not the whole spear. This is the tip. The tip of the spear. It's huge. Go to the next picture. And then there's a guy standing in front of one. And you have to see the arrow. All you see, all the regular spear-sized heads. And then you see, boom. Look at that thing. It is massive. They have found these things over and over and over and this stuff isn't talked about a lot, 
because it would help the Bible and help Christianity. No one really likes to do that, do they? So what, what does this all matter, right? Like, this is cool, right? Cool information, right? But what did the giants in Noah's day have to do with today in Christ's return? What does that have to do with anything? Well, understand this. The demons are the fallen angels. We know that. The demons that the Bible talks about that were cast out, that we fight against, that we wrestle against, they are the fallen angels that followed Satan. Not all of them took wives to do this. The ones that did were punished for it. Where, you might ask? Oh, I'm glad you asked. See, this is why they didn't do it again. Because they started getting punished for this. In Jude 1 through 6, it's, or 1 6, it says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their abode, he has reserved and everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these have given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. In 2 Peter 2, 4 through 5, it says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but save Noah, one, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. In Matthew 25, 41, Jesus says, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So you have this two groups of angels, the ones that just came down with Satan that were banished, and then a small portion of them who actually did what they did to intermingle with humanity and caused this race. After they did it twice, they realized there's, there's nothing we can do. God obviously gave enough strength to men like David and Joshua and all these men to overtake those race of giants. They annihilated them from the earth. This is part of the reason why David could not be a priest according to the order. Or actually, sorry, he could not build the temple. He asked God, can I be the one to build the temple? He said, no, you have too much blood on your hands. Your son will build the temple. See, David was a warrior of unmatched strength. I'll just leave it at that. God used him. So the remaining fallen angels are the demons we deal with today. You might say, Matt, I don't believe in demons. Well, here's what the Bible says. Matthew 8, 28. When he had come to the other side of the country, this is talking about Jesus of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. So there's two men. They're completely possessed. They're in a cemetery, and it's so bad. They're so crazy. They don't let anyone, you know, go through there. They're just insane. They've lost it. 
And suddenly they cried out saying, what have we done to, or what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged. Jesus hadn't even said anything yet. He's just there. He's just walking. And suddenly they cried out. Now a good way off from them. Oh, sorry. He said, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. So they saw the pigs. They said, if you're going to cast us out, because they already knew it was coming. If you're going to cast us out, send us into the pigs. Jesus still hadn't spoken yet. And finally, and he said to them, go. That's all he said. He didn't say anything else. He just said, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished into the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. So they, everybody sees this. They're marveling. They're like, whoa, what just happened? These two guys that were terrorizing us forever all of a sudden are free. All of a sudden, all the spirits went into the pigs, and the pigs ran off the cliff. What just happened? So they start telling everyone. They start proclaiming to the whole city, right? And look what they do in response. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. What? Why? Well, I'm glad you asked. This region was known for their idol worship. The pigs, <laughs> this is fun, the pigs were the primary sacrifice for the god Zeus. Those do their sacrifices would sell them to people so they could do their sacrifice to the god Zeus. So this was their economy. God, Jesus just came and just messed up the whole economy because all the pigs are gone. Not just like two or three. He sent them all off the cliff, man. This was a jab at the god Zeus. At the same time, he set free two young men who were possessed. Instead of them being excited about this, they said, don't come back here. See, sometimes we value our stuff more than we value our freedom. And when God comes into our life, sometimes he can completely mess up everything. Every plan we have, every idea, every amount of money we might have. He says, no, no, because all of that was dedicated to something false. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to set you free. And the result might mean everything has to change. And these people didn't want that change. They said, get out of here. We don't want you here. Can you believe that? This was interesting because the first people to identify Jesus as the son of God were demons. No one had been able to pinpoint who he was yet, but he's just walking and they start screaming. 
See, his identity was known to these fallen ones. Then in Matthew 4, verse 1, it says, oh, and this is beautiful. Then when Jesus was led up by the Spirit, this is after Jesus was baptized, he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said to him, it is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of where? The mouth of God. And verse 5, then the devil took him into the holy city, set him in the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. He's mocking him, right? Then Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And in verse 8, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, there have been many messages preached about this section of scripture. We know that the enemy is our tempter. We know that he is the one who tempts us. But when Jesus was tempted, he kept responding with what? The word of God. More specifically, in verse 7, he says, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. There has been many people with an antichrist mind that say that Jesus never called himself the Son of God. The first person he told who he was was the devil. You see, you got to understand, Jesus doesn't look like Jesus. He's in human form. So the enemy's curious, is this the seed of Eve? Is this the one? So he comes to tempt him. And when he realizes, I can't get him to worship me, he realizes, I'm in trouble. This is the guy. And Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Whoo, you see, the Bible says that in the end, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, including the enemy, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Mm. Slap your neighbor. Say we're almost there. We're almost there. Just another hour. In 1 Peter 3, it says, By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient 
when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through fire. So you see, you see Peter here alluding to the fact that Jesus, during the time that he was in the tomb, went to preach to these fallen angels that he bound up for doing what they did. Jesus went and preached to these things. Can you believe that? that is wild to me? That's just like, what? That's what he did. He went and preached to the spirits in prison, the ones he put there for causing this race of giants who were formerly disobedient when once the divine law suffering waited in the days of Noah, specifically talking about the days of Noah. In James 2.19, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. This is why I have hope. This is why I have hope. I know that sounds like a very bleak scripture. This is why I have hope. Because if even you come across, recognize the reality of the Son of God, you can too. And anyone you come across can too. It should be a, a encouragement to you that when you minister to someone, you just might get through. You just might break through. You just might give them a glimpse of who God is. The relationship God had with these angels obviously was not lost without pain. Obviously, this made God angry. Obviously, they were, they were God's first companions as far as we know. And they abandoned him. They rejected him. They rebelled against him. Can you imagine the pain that must have caused to God's heart? The grievance to God's heart. And so, of course, he's going to punish. Of course, he's going to correct these things. Worship King Young come. See, not too bad. When these angels were cast out of heaven and discovered that they could intermingle with humanity, their pride was their doom. They felt like God, but without the success. There is this phrase called the Theoanthropos. Theoanthropos. This is the, the description that is given for Christ. Theoanthropos. And what it means is simply God-man. He was the God-man. <laughs> you see, the enemy created his race of angelic human hybrid or heavenly human hybrid. And then comes down the Theoanthropos, the God-man, the true heavenly human hybrid that ended it all. The fallen angels thought they were the only ones that could do this trick. Then the Holy Spirit meets Mary and she conceives. You see, there's so much we don't realize. 
about the spirit world. But understand this, whatever the enemy has done, it's because he saw it with God first and he tried to duplicate it. But he does it amiss, he does it falsely. It's a counterfeit. It never produces life or success. All it produces is more death. This is why you can't play around with the enemy. This is why you should have no place with the enemy. You're supposed to stand guard against him. You're supposed to put armor to protect against him. Not intermingle. The angels that fell thought they were the only ones could do that trick where they leave heaven and become a little bit like humans. And then comes Jesus. And they go, oh, there he is. They knew immediately who he was. They recognized him. They said, nah, this is that guy. The devil went and put some feelers out. Is that really him? And then he went back and said, yeah, it's him. It's time. Here we go. Going back to Genesis 6, 18. It says, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. He's talking to Noah. He's telling him, listen, everything around you is horrible. We need to get you out of here. We need to rescue you. The Bible calls Noah blameless and righteous, that his family was blameless and righteous. Could it be that they were some of the only people, if not the only people who did not have their bloodline tainted. The Bible says that Noah walked with God. How does this relate to today? Well, there will be a people in the last days that walk with God closely, hand in hand. They will follow. They will desire God. They will find favor with God. And because they find favor with God, God will rescue them. That's the promise of those in the last days that serve the Lord. Why is it such a big deal? Well, here's why. In our own nation, we're battling satanic temples wanting to host after school clubs inside the school. Officials at a Pennsylvania school district are allowing the Satanic Temple to host a back to school event at a high school. Administrators with the Northern York County School District are allowing the Satanic Temple to host the event at Northern High School in Dillsburg, Pennsylvania. The event is back to back school night for the after school Satan Club, according to Fox 43. The group tried to establish an after-school Satan club at a school within the district in April, but those efforts were denied by the school board at that time. So they tried a different school. And so they just kept trying. So they found a school that said, yeah, we want your satanic after-school club here. Provided the link for you in the notes. You can go read the story. 
You see, you might think, oh, Matt, what does this all have to do with me? The enemy knows his time is short. So he's pushing. He's pushing. He's pushing. And you might think what's going on in your family or with your kids or at work is just life. Part of it might be, and part of it might be that you need to put on that armor. Because here's what's happening. The disregard for all things holy is increasing in our generation. That's what's happening. There is nothing sacred anymore. There's nothing holy anymore. Everything's just whatever. There's no talk about holiness anymore. There's no talk about sanctification anymore. There's no talk about purity anymore. Have you heard that lately? So the disregard for all things holy will increase in our generation. What does that say about you? What does that say about you as a parent in this generation? What does that say about you as a leader in this generation? What does that say about you as a Christ follower in this generation? Well, to me, it says that God trusts you. To me, it says that he wants to establish his covenant with you like he did Noah. Because it was dark in Noah's day. In Noah's day, it was one of the craziest times to be alive. Guess what? Today is one of the craziest times to be alive. And he says, it's a compliment to us. It's the greatest compliment to us that he would choose us to raise children in this generation. Hello? It is the greatest compliment that we could ever receive that God would choose us to serve in his kingdom today. Also, it shows us the authority that we have as Christ followers. You see, I have tried and I've tried and hopefully it's, it's stuck. Hopefully it's gotten through. I've tried to teach you who you are Try to teach you the authority that God has given us. In Matthew 10, 1, he says, And when he called his disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. He gave us the power. Those angels, those demons, those fallen ones, they prey on your mind, they prey on your emotions, but you have the power because you have Christ. And they know who he is. And they tremble at his voice. And they are very aware that their time is short. So when Christ went to the cross, 
he was called the second Adam, restoring what the first Adam lost. And by the shedding of the blood of Christ, it was cemented for eternity that Christ would be the final blood sacrifice. And he was the last hybrid to ever live. He closed that chapter. No more. Let's stand. I say all of that to say this. Whatever the struggle, whatever the fight, whatever the temptation, whatever the fear, whatever the worry, whatever the doubt, whatever the heartache that you might be going through, there is freedom from it. Because you have the most important aspect of our lives that we could ever have. You have the very spirit of God. And I'm telling you this morning, you might feel that sometimes life gets too heavy. It gets too hard. Their lies. You have a savior that the Bible says that if you trade in your burdens, he will give you his, which is light, which is easy. It's time to trade in our burdens this morning. We were not meant to carry anything but armor. We were not meant to carry our worries and doubts. We were only meant to carry the armor to withstand the attacks. So this morning, I want to do something before we worship. I want to pray. And if there's been a struggle in your life, I want you to respond because I believe that freedom can come right here, right now. Father, I thank you for the truth that is of your word, for the reality of the authority that you've given us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are working in and amongst us. These are not mere stories. These are not mere letters on a page. It is the truth of your word come alive. And Lord, I thank you right now for every heart that has been downtrodden, that has been abused, that is in pain, that is hurting, I thank you for healing right now in Jesus' name. I pray for every person who is struggling in their mind with addiction, with temptation. I thank you for freedom right now. That's you this morning. Just lift your hand real high. Just lift your hand real high. I want to declare it over you, Father. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for total restoration. Thank you that you're breaking through the hardest areas of our hearts and you're saying no more. That life is no more part of you. From this day forward, you go in peace. From this day forward, you go and don't let the tempter mess with you no more because he serves the Lord. You do not belong to the enemy. You belong 
to the heart of God. And Lord, we say thank you for freedom. Thank you for joining us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.